Open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, if you would, please. I was preaching through the four compromises that Pharaoh offered to Moses. He said to Pharaoh, Moses did, God wants my people to go worship him three days' journey into the wilderness. And Moses, first of all, made this suggestion. I'm sorry, Pharaoh made this suggestion and. Exodus chapter 8, verse 25, Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet to do so, or so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness." And sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. (coughs) The first compromise had to do with place. Do the sacrifice, but don't do it out in the wilderness. Do it right here in the land. The second one had to do with progress. Don't go so far. You can go, but don't go very far away. The third one had to do with people or progeny. Uh, You can go if you're men, but don't take your children and your wives with you. And the final one had to do with their possessions. You go, but leave the flocks and the herds behind. When I got to this portion of the Word of God, I I got thinking, what is the Christian's relationship with the world? And I want to talk to you about that tonight. The Lord helping me. I apologize for my voice, but it's the only one I have, so I'm just going to use it. And uh, I appreciate you all requesting an extra hour of service today. It was very kind of you uh, that you'd do that. But the good news is we don't have to meet Mac till 7.30 tomorrow morning. So that's exciting. Very, very, I feel like the fellow who was so unlucky that when he finally got, finally got his kidney transplant, it came from a bedwetter. But <clears throat> strange things happen late at night. James 4, 4, the Bible says that Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Father, guide me by your spirit to say only, but all the things that you want said. Give me the voice. I pray that I'll need to be able to accomplish your task for me tonight. Thank you, Lord, that all of that is in your control. And what I really need is the power of your spirit. So help me and empower me, direct me, and use this time to your glory and to the good of these young people and those who are here as guests. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. I realized when I was going through this series of messages in our church that I'd never really taken time to do a study of the Christian's relationship with the world. Now, we know the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. We know the Bible says love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But it's easy to be enamored by the world. That's why God said don't love it. Do you know there's no command in the Bible that says love not the devil. The devil is God's enemy and the world is God's enemy. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. We know we shouldn't love the devil. We know he's out to destroy us. But the world looks pretty enticing. It's easy to be enamored of the world. It's easy to become entangled with the world. The Bible says, if a man's a soldier, 
He does not entangle himself with the affairs of this world that he may please him who hath called him to be a soldier. The Bible says that the seed that falls on thorny ground is that that gets involved with the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world and the lust for other things. So I want to give you three simple thoughts. <clears throat> Why we should not love the world. What the Bible tells us, our relationship <coughs> should be with the world. And then the way that we engage and deal with the world according to the Word of God. What's wrong with the world? Why are we told that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Why are we told <coughs> that we must not love the world or the things that are in the world? Well, the Bible tells us in the first place that we have a different heart. What is the purpose of the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. The purpose of the world is to please itself. The purpose of the world is to do those things that it wishes and wants and desires to do. And the Bible says we're here for a different reason. We're here on a different mission. We're here for a different purpose. The Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 15 the Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's laying down some principles about their relationship with the world. And, and he says, I want you to know if the world hate you, you know in verse 18 that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. We read in Peter about Lot. Now read that he vexed his righteous soul from day to day and seeing and hearing the conversation of the wicked. That's really interesting to me because Lot did everything he could to fit into the world. Called them brethren, the Sodomites. Offered two daughters that had never been married, never been with a man, to the lustful, wicked sodomites to do whatever they wanted to do with. He really tried to fit into the world. But it didn't work for him, and it didn't work for the world. For him, <coughs> he, he said, uh, I can't let you do this. That, to take these angels that have come as my guests and defile them, that, that I just can't do that. And the world said, hey, this guy came there to visit us. He was a sojourner, and now he's going to be a judge over us. We have a different heart. We have a different home. Here we have no continuing city. Though we seek one to come, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. The songwriter had it right when he said, This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. <clears throat> the angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And that's why I don't feel too much at home in this world anymore. We have a different home. 1993. The Lord allowed us to buy a piece of property and build a home, a house on it. It's a nice house. And my dad came by and the, the driveway wasn't in. It was just a path through the woods. We're about 300 feet off the road. <coughs> and all the framing was up. And I said, Dad, here's where this room's going to be and this room and that room. And I was real excited about it. And Dad said, it's a nice place, son. Too bad you're going to have to leave it. 
Everything I have in this world is left behind. I have a different home. I have a different hope. The Bible says that by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And the Bible said he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses' hope wasn't in sitting on a throne. He might have been the heir to Pharaoh. There's some writing, I'm told, at the base of the Sphinx, it may have worn away now, that indicates that. His hope was not being able to have earthly possessions, the Pharaoh's were phenomenally rich. If you read about King Tut's tomb, the, the gold cases that held other gold cases that finally held the casket and all kinds of riches. And King Tut was a relatively minor ruler in Pharaoh. And the reason that his tomb is famous because it hadn't been spoiled or stolen from like the other more wealthy tombs. And Moses said, that stuff doesn't matter to me. I'm seeing him who is invisible. Did you know a lot of unsaved people is hopeless? All they're going to do is die and leave everything behind and have nothing but eternal destruction and damnation. We have a different help. The Bible says, Acts 26, 22, that Paul obtained help of God. The Bible says we go boldly under the throne of grace to find mercy to help in time of need. We're not looking to our wisdom. We're not looking to technology. We're not looking to science. We're not looking to politics. And boy, that's a good thing. Let me just tell you something. It's a mess out there, but God's not a bit surprised. And he's not sitting up in heaven saying, oh no, how am I going to have church if Hillary or Donald becomes president? No, the church is just fine. God's church is going to endure until he's all, all done with it in this world. Then he'll take us out and we'll see how they do without us. So we're just different. The Bible calls us strangers. Peter says, I beseech you, therefore, as pilgrims and strangers. Let me tell you something about strangers. Strangers are strange. (laughs) You can always tell they're new, they're different, they're from somewhere else. They don't fit in. If you live for God, you'll never make sense to the world. So what do we do about it? What are God's commands concerning the Christian in the world? <coughs> the first command is very simple. Don't love the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, it's interesting because I here get a definition of what the world is. All that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. Lust of the flesh is a desire to do. Lust of the... I is a desire to have, to possess. You know how they keep changing styles? To make you want something else. Your jacket with a center vent doesn't really do any more for you than your jacket with the side vents. 
Your wide lapels don't do any more or less for you than your skinny lapels. The spread collar isn't any much different when you wear it out in the rain than a straight collar is. But the world keeps changing it because they want you to want something else. And the pride of life is a desire to be. Now, here's what happens. What starts out as a sincere desire to understand and to relate to the world, which is good. Paul stood at Mars Hill. He said, you got all these statues. you got one to an unknown God. Let me tell you about him. And he took where they were and what they believed and used that as a place to start to teach the truth. I think that's good. I'm all things to all men that by all means I might save some. I have read and studied and learned about various aspects of life because I really they realized there are gaps in my knowledge and I needed to learn something so that I could relate to people. But what happens is we start with that and sort of say, you know, here's how they think and here's what this means to them and that's what they're talking about when they say that. And then, then we get kind of intrigued by it. And then we get caught up in it. And then it really matters to us that there are no cuffs on our trousers anymore when the style changes. That our ties aren't as wide as they used to be. And that nobody walk into our church and not think that we're really with it. You know the story about the man and his camel and his wife in the desert? It's a great story. Man traveling through the desert on a camel with his wife, and a sandstorm comes up. And he, in the sandstorm, gets separated from his wife. And so he's riding the camel over the sand trying to find where she is. He's rather desperate to find her. And then another sandstorm comes up, and he loses his camel. And he says, Brother, how am I ever going to find my wife without my camel? Now he's trudging across the sand, no camel. Time goes on, his robe is tattered, his sandals are in shreds, his face is burned, his lips are parched, and he stumbles on an oasis, and there's his wife, and she's well and cared for and happy, and she says, oh, my dear husband, you look so terrible, I'm so sorry, what can I do to help you? And he said, quick, help me find my camel. They start out needing the camel so he can find his wife. But he forgot about the wife who just wants the camel. And so he'll start off saying, I want to understand the world and, and I want to know what they think about this and I want to be able to know what they're talking about and I want to be able to use sermons that make the bridge to the 21st century and I want to be able to do all that. And after a while, they forget that the goal was to help them know God. And they just want to be cool. They just want to be with it. They just want to make sure everybody knows that they're on top of everything and they know all the new expressions and all the latest styles and they're doing all the latest stuff and their music doesn't sound too different from the music out in the world somewhere. When the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, the idea is do not let the world press you into its mold. And I've always got to be careful because the world is pretty enticing and attractive and I'm not supposed to love it. There's a song we sing occasionally as a choir opener in our church. 
Been around a while. Good song. It says, oh, it is wonderful to be a Christian. And it has a line in that song that I think explains exactly how my attitude should be toward the things of this world. It says, that is why the things of earth I loosely hold. How hard is it for the Lord to pry some of those things out of your hand? That particular style of music. That edgy area of dress. That part of you that wants to be with it in every area. Don't love the world. But then the Bible says don't leave the world. We're not to be cloistered off in a monastery somewhere. There are those that in their effort to be godly, have decided that they can't have any interaction with the world whatsoever. But the Bible doesn't say that. <clears throat> the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, I wrote to you an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or the covetous or extortioners or the idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. If you can have no contact with wicked people, you can't live in this world. And the Lord Jesus talked about that in Philippians. Well, let me go to John chapter 15 for now. John chapter 17 for now. We'll come back to Philippians in a little bit. John chapter 17. Here's what the Lord said in verse 14. He said, I've given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And by the way, if you know the word of God really well, you'll instinctively be repulsed by that which is worldly. You'll see rapidly, no, that's not right. The Bible says that the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I think it's good you read your Bible through once a year, but I think that's maybe for somebody in the fifth grade a good starting place. It takes the average person five or six minutes a day reading the Bible to read their Bible through once a year. You're not going to know it very well five or six minutes a day. Now, I think you ought to think about maybe reading it a couple times a year, maybe... Reading the New Testament a little more than that. You know the word. It'll sanctify you. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. I can't leave the world. I can't love the world. You've heard the rather apt illustration that a Christian in the world is like a boat in the water. Did you know a boat not in the water is not much good? I've had boats. I like boats. I like water. I don't have a boat now. I, I had a speed boat, a jet boat, a sugar sand heat jet boat. It's great for teenagers. It's not so great for grandkids. So I sold the boat and I got a Polaris Ranger and we run around the 10 acres we live on in that with the grandkids. But my boat sitting in the driveway was not much fun. Or you get in there and move the wheel, you know. Run the motor for a little bit without hurting it. But you want the boat in the water. Christians cloistered somewhere don't do anything to fulfill the Great Commission. But you don't want water in the boat. 
if you get the water in the boats, you're going to have trouble. In fact, I never took the analogy this far till recently. Most boats of any size have a bilge pump in them. And automatically, when the water in the back by the engine gets to a certain level, the bilge pump goes on and it expels the water. That's kind of what the Lord Jesus said in John 13 when he says you got to have your feet washed on a regular basis. you got to be real careful that in your contact with the world, the things that you take in, the things that you consume, the things that you are affected by are cleansed from you on a real regular basis. Don't love the world. Don't leave the world. So what do we do? Well, our job is to liberate the world. Our job is to reach the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, when he stood in the synagogue, read from a passage of scripture that I'm told Billy Sunday always had his Bible open to when he preached. The book of Isaiah Chapter 61 and verse 1. And the Lord Jesus said this was his mission, that he was fulfilling these words. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are bound. (coughs) I had the privilege to have taken my wife and daughters on a mission trip to Grenada. The island nation of Grenada, wonderful national missionary there named Dennis Celestine we're with. Some of you may remember reading about it. Most of you don't have any idea about it. But there was a time that the communists took over the nation of Grenada. We had some students in a medical school that was on the island of Grenada. And the communists had begun to... Do some very impressive things, and uh, there was a moment of opportunity. And in 1983, October 25th, Ronald Reagan sent the U.S. Rapid Deployment Force, which at that time was our first and second Ranger Division and the 82nd Airborne Division. He sent Marines and the Army Delta people and Navy SEALs, and he went and liberated the island of Grenada from communist rule. The United Kingdom was mad at us. Canada was critical of that. The United Nations were upset with us for doing that. We were going and invading that sovereign nation. And how dare we do that? But the Grenadians loved it. See, that was, <clears throat> that was a really bad time in their history. Brother Celestine showed me a book the communists had put together. They knew everybody where they lived, where they went to church, what their political beliefs were, how much of a threat they were to them. They had it divided down by neighborhood and by house and by family. They saw the Catholic church as a strong threat to them. They said the Baptists were not much of a threat because they were preoccupied with, and they put the word in quotes, soul winning. (laughs) Pretty good testimony for the Baptists in Grenada. They had a curfew of 6 o'clock. If you were in your backyard after 6 o'clock, they would shoot you. And at that time, almost nobody on the island of Grenada had indoor plumbing. And we went to Grenada. Went by a building, there was a big wall, and somebody had painted. Excuse me, I'm trying to quit smoking. I just about done, and I got in Dr. R's car and some. 
Well, there's a big building and on it. They painted a mural and they had pictures about the invasion and pictures of some of the U.S. soldiers. And they said, thank you, America. And in Grenada, they celebrate the anniversary of that day, October 25th. They celebrate it every year. It's a national holiday. You know what they call it? They call it Thanksgiving Day. My job is to go to the captives, to go to the brokenhearted. Your job is to go to those people that are bound in the shackles of sin and say to them, there's a better way. There is hope. You don't have to stay bound by your desire for material possessions, locked up in your addiction to drugs or alcohol, held in the grip of those sensual desires that you have. There is hope and there is help. And his name is Jesus. So, let me say, then there are three ways that I see people in general approaching the world. The first way, and it's the most popular way, and we're told in some quarters that it's the only way that you'll ever really succeed, is what I would call assimilation, or you might call accommodation. You've got to be like them to win them. You can't win the world to Christ when you dress differently like than they do. One man said, if you're going to win people to Christ, you have to speak their language. And he said, the world's language is its music. So you have to do the music of the world in order to reach the world. Now, I guess that was clever, except it's, first of all, not written anywhere in the Bible. And second of all, um, Music is a great and important way to communicate truth, but I've never known anybody who had trouble if they were Southern Gospel fans communicating with classical music fans. I think they can talk to each other as long as they speak English. But they say we have to assimilate. We have to be like them. There's an interesting passage in the book of Haggai that teaches us what's going on here. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 11. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? I've got holy flesh, I'm going to touch that, which is common. Will it make it holy? And the priest answered and said, No. No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. If the clean touches the common, it doesn't make it clean. If the unclean touches the same things, it does make them unclean. Is anybody here healthy tonight? What's your name right here? What's your name? Josiah, very good. We did not practice, and he got it right the first time. (laughs) Josiah, I I have a bit of a drainage issue. I got some sickness. Would you please cough on me and make me well? (laughs) Wouldn't that work? He's clean. I'm unclean. He'll cough on me, and I'll get better. (laughs) Well, how about if I cough on you? (laughs) Now, if I cough on you, I can make you sick. Roy Thompson, pastor of the Cleveland Baptist Church for, I think, 38 years. 
founded the church, Kevin Folger. My good friend's a pastor there. Brother Thompson's a great friend to me. He's in heaven now. And Brother Thompson, for a long time, didn't have a Christian school. He said, I want to send my young people into the world, into the public schools, as missionaries, and have them win those people to Christ. One day his daughter brought home a book. His wife's a reader, and she started reading the book that his daughter was assigned to the public school. And she said, Roy, you need to read this. And he read it, and he got angry. Roy Thompson is a tough old guy. He was a drunk as a teenager. Before he got saved, was rough as could be. And he went into the school and found the teacher that had given his daughter that book. He said, she's a little thing wearing half a dress. The miniskirt days, and he stuck that book under her nose and he said, Read that to me. And she said, I, I can't read that. that. That's embarrassing. He said, You gave it to my daughter, and she's sitting in your class next to a teenage boy, and he's reading the same book she's reading. Read it to me. And that was about the time Cleveland Baptist School started. Here's what Dr. Thompson said. He said, for 20 years, I put my canaries in the cage with the sparrows to teach the sparrows how to sing. He said, when I got done, I had a whole bunch of chirping canaries who didn't sing anymore, but I had no singing sparrows. No, assimilation doesn't work. When I try to become like the world to reach them, I just become worldly. And then there's the idea of isolation. The Pharisees were kind of like that. They said to Lord Jesus in Matthew 9, How come your master, they said to the disciples, is eating (coughs) with drunkards and publicans, (coughs) all kinds of ungodly people? And Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. Talking to sinners, because that's who needs to be saved. Amish people are somewhat engaged in the practice of isolation. Some homeschooling families, and I love homeschoolers, we're very good to them in our church and in our school. We have no problem with those who love the Lord and love the local church. But some of them that I've run into different places, they don't ever want their child to meet anybody who's not saved. They don't want them to be in the same room as anybody who's ungodly. That's not what the Bible says. He said, No, he said, uh, I sent you into the world just like the Father sent me into the world. One of the best things happened to me as a boy was my dad ran the Detroit Rescue Mission. And I saw drunks. And I saw guys that had almost finished medical school and guys that were very accomplished musicians and guys that, one man, I'm thinking a man named Eric, had won the Silver Star, earned it in World War II, and was an accountant for General Motors. And they all had one thing in common, their lives were ruined by booze. Now, I've had a lot of problems in my life, and I've done a number of things I wish I'd never done. But one thing that's never been a temptation to me is booze. Because I saw what the devil delivered and not what he gave. One of the best things we ever do with our young people at First Baptist Church of Bridgeport is get them involved in the bus ministry. And they see mama passed out on the couch and four children with three different last names and daddy not around. <clears throat> that kind of life doesn't look very appealing to them. So isolation is not biblical, and assimilation is not biblical. 
I'm supposed to be a stranger. We're a peculiar people. I'm always to be representing the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. The biblical model is confrontation. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Not your worldly works, not your trying to behave like them works, your good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. Now you can talk about what salt does. Some people say it's a, it's a, uh, it cleanses. It doesn't. Salt is not antiseptic. You have a, an illness, salt, a wound, an infection. Salt won't fight the infection. But what salt does is aseptic. It will keep good flesh from getting as diseased. It will preserve something. But one thing about salt, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in his book, In the Beatitudes, one thing about salt, its essential characteristic is its differentness. You never say, was that salt or was that pepper? Was that salt or was that sugar? Was that salt or was that vinegar? No, salt's always salt. It is never like the other stuff. It's always like itself. And you are the salt of the earth. Yeah, the Lord Jesus said, uh, the Apostle Paul, moved by the Spirit of God, said to his wonderful church that he loved dearly at Philippi, he said, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The world is dark, and we're the opposite, we're light. The world is cantankerous, and we're doing all things without murmurings and disputings. The world is crooked and perverse, and we're to be honest and straight and have a good report of them that are without. And in that world we shine as lights, and we tell them we're here to confront you with the truth of the gospel. We're here kindly and lovingly, but without apology and without hesitation, to tell you there's a different way... There's a better way. We are here to tell you, you are enslaved by sin and the gospel will deliver you. Tomorrow, or Sunday, at our church, we'll have something we do twice a year. We operate a housing ministry for men with addictions. We call it transformed through God's word. We're very friendly and close to the folks in Rockford. Brother King's a very good friend of ours and of our ministry and we'll trade people back and forth in the houses sometimes. And twice a year we have RU Sunday, TTGW Sunday. And during the Sunday school hour, <coughs> the adults and <coughs> teenage classes will gather together. And the men that have graduated in the previous six months will stand up and they'll give their testimonies. And you know what? They were all in bondage. They're all enslaved. And, and the reason they got Help was not because somebody came to smoke a joint with them. Not because somebody came to have a beer with them. Not because somebody came and said, well, hey, that looks like fun. Let me try some of that. Somebody came lovingly and clearly and plainly and said, there's a different way. There's a better way. There's a lady in our church. Our young people who are here tonight will not know who she is. Her testimony was given years ago. She's unique of my acquaintances in that this lady used to work on a road building crew. 
She worked on the construction crew, those rough guys. And she was a dancer in one of these wicked places. Don't know anybody who's had both of those experiences in their life. She had issues with drugs and alcohol. And if you saw her on Sunday morning at our church, you couldn't pick her out from anybody else. She's got a sweet spirit and a happy countenance. And she's had a good testimony in many areas of her life. And those things that bound her are gone because somebody said, Hey, there's a different way that you can live. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't love the world. Don't leave the world. Don't try to be like the world. Liberate the world. Reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ.